You know when you're working a night shift and it's 3 a.m. and it's like, are we drunk or delirious? I'm Emily. And I'm Hannah. And you're listening to Drunk or Delirious, a night shift podcast. time to talk I know we've been doing lots of recording this week (laughs) I'm a little delirious today I would say Um, I don't know what I shouldn't be like I feel like I just I I feel like I'm still recovering but um, (laughs) I shouldn't be but I'm like after we're done recording I'm just gonna go nap for a couple or probably gonna finish packing and then go nap for several hours because of my flight tonight Ugh, red eyes are always very painful. Yeah, I haven't done a red eye in a hot minute. Um, but I don't know, everyone at work was like, why are you doing that? Like, oh my God. And I was like, we honestly just went for the cheapest flights because we've had so many trips, like yeah. back to back to back to back. We couldn't just like pay whatever we wanted to for each flight, you know, like I couldn't just pay, drop $500 on on the flight for this trip when we've done like five other flights recently so like it's fine and then the hotel was pretty expensive for this wedding um because there's a conference in the area that weekend like several conferences or something in the area that weekend so um yeah so there's so all the hotels like jacked up their prices so we were like okay well like of course the same weekend that's a weekend yeah but hopefully it's fun though when do you get back we land like super late on Sunday, okay. like eleven thirty or something. Okay, yeah. So for our listeners, we're recording this on Thursday, September twenty ninth. So it's like a week earlier than our episode will actually come out, but that's because of Emily's trip this weekend, and then I have a trip with my parents next week during the week. So yeah, we're not going to be around. So we were like, let's just record it a little bit early yeah. and get it squared away. Yeah, we like it's we like recording weekly like so it's you know you're we're fresh for you guys and like we're up to date on like our current life but sometimes it gets a little hard <laughs> just caught up yesterday about like emily's job and everything so we're like yes we just talked to each other <laughs> yeah like literally and i have no news so we've just been like batch recording this week because we have to but um but Hannah went shopping today that's her news she got some yeah. cute fall clothes um <laughs> which is great. I just did like a Shein, which I've actually never really ordered from them before, but I was like, I need some basics and whatnot, but it was pretty cheap. And like, actually the stuff is decent quality. So, um, yeah, happy with that. And then I had, I got a couple tops at, um, like a crossroads, like slash Buffalo exchange situation. Um, the other week that I'm really excited to wear. They're both ones like free people, ones urban like little tops. I love buying stuff at resale stores. Actually, the dress I'm wearing to the wedding I bought, I think like two years ago at Crossroads. Oh, that's the best. It always makes me feel so much better too. And then if someone compliments you on your outfit, you're like, yeah, it's thrifted. It's thrifted. (laughs) I'm a sustainable queen. (laughs) 
I try. I really try. While we're ordering Sheen and Amazon. Literally. Yeah, right. I just ordered a bunch of stuff. Like, I know Sheen is like so cute, but it's the fucking worst. Like, they, yeah. I, I always see stuff about how not sustainable they are, so I oh try God. not to. But like, oh God, but like I haven't seen time, that. It's, it's the same as like buying from any store. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like the only way to be sustainable is to thrift and to use what you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you know, I try, but at the same time, like I like my clothes and I like like cute stuff. So it same. is hard. But... I know it is really hard. I saw this company, like you know, you know, like Thread Up how you can like send your clothes in it's like the online thrift store this company i think is similar in that but they take the clothes that they like don't buy from you and they either use them to make new clothes or like recycle them to make other new other things that's cool yeah really cool and now i'm like okay well all the stuff that i didn't just sell when i because i sold at crossroads too like i can whoever doesn't want it for my coworkers, like instead of just donating it at like Goodwill, like it can actually like send it to them and see like what they can make with it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So this week we kind of wanted to bring it back to talking about the NICU. I think it's been a little bit since we've talked about the NICU. Um, I think we do have some NICU moms who listen to us. Um, so this one is kind of for you guys. And it's also for NICU nurses, I think, too, like um, as a reminder uh, to be empathetic, you know, to our parents and things that we can do as nurses to help the parents feel more in control. So mm-hmm. we just kind of wanted to share our experiences with that. Um, so this is for, yeah, nurses and parents and, well, I guess really anyone, anybody who wants to learn but. Mm-hmm. Mainly for for those groups of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tough. I mean, that was one of the things that I was like most nervous about. Um, you know, going into the NICU, not the patient care. I mean, it's nerve wracking, but like interacting with parents and making sure um, we were supporting them the best that we possibly could, and also trying to understand from their perspective what they're going through, which. I don't personally have experience with that, um, just the opposite side of it. So it's, it's definitely a good thing to talk about, especially with, um, a lot of the perspective that was shared with us on some of our posts. So I think, yeah, yeah, that's so true. Um, it's kind of easy to get a little bit lost in your own bubble of like tasks and things that you have to do on the nurse's side. And in a way, um, you know, we love our babies and everything, but when it's something that you do every day, like it's very normalized for us. So we're really used to seeing intubated babies who are on drips. Like Mm -hmm. we're not going to see a baby like that and start crying. Like, I mean, we see the sadness in the situation, but when it's your full-time job, there's, yeah, like there's a part of you that has to normalize it in order to be able to be a functional nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sometimes um, we we all can get lost in our tasks, no matter what our specialties are too. Like I think that's the same for adult ICU. It's the same for ER. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a coping, a coping mechanism, I think. Totally. Um, but – yeah, I mean, I've definitely um, 
learned a lot in my six years in, um, you know, being in the NICU and, uh, I've had situations where parents love me and give me Daisy Awards and, you know, compliment me and tell me that, like, how good of a job I'm doing and everything. But I've also had situations where I've had – I mean, this is way more rare, but still, it's happened. But I've had, a like, a mom scream in my face saying that I was neglecting her baby and, um, yeah, I mean, I've definitely been on both sides and – I've yeah, I feel like I've learned a lot and I'm still not perfect um and I'm and I always want to try to be better too, but it's easy to get defensive too. Like I know for me like so I'll just share like a personal story, but when I was traveling in Seattle, I as a traveler was given kind of a shitty assignment. I had two babies and then was admitting a third all the way down the hall for my other two patients. And my admission was right when I walked in the door, of course, naturally. Um, And the patient that I admitted was not super sick or super premature or anything, but it needed an an IV and it took like over an hour to get the IV. And um, so that was over an hour that I was not checking on my other patients because when you have three patients, you do have to prioritize like, one, two, and three. Like it's it's how it works, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Like none of us can be in three places at once. It's impossible. Um, so finally when I did go and check on my other patients, it was a lot of comments like, you know, where have you been? And she's been desatting and no one has come and checked on her and things like that. And, you know, from my perspective, like I got in a report that she she decided to the 80s and they weren't doing anything about it because mom was insistent on solely breastfeeding the baby and um, would not be okay with an NG tube. So she's not giving the baby rest. The baby was premature. The baby was tired. So the baby was desatting. They were aware and the baby was coming back up on its own. So I didn't need to go in there and intervene and bag the baby. The, ba- the baby was coming back up. So in my mind, And there were nurses on the other side of the hallway. So if something was going down, they should have been – and we have monitors outside. So like if something happened, someone would have gone in. But she felt extremely neglected and scared and alone and does not know that I have these other patients. And like, you know, it's easy from my perspective to get defensive because I'm like, you don't get it. Like, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter at the end of the day, right? Like what matters is – her feelings and her perspective is, is there's no, like, there's always like more than one side of the story. Obviously there's her, her perception, my perception, and then whatever is in the middle, I guess. Is that the truth? I don't know, but yeah, it's frustrating, but I think things like that, like have shaped me into the nurse I am now. So now I'm even more careful, um, to be over communicative Mm -hmm. with my families and, um, yeah, I just try to be an advocate as much as I can now to all parents um, so that they feel like safe and involved <laughs> in their baby's care. Yeah, which is really what they want. You know, this is not at all what they expected for their pregnancy, for their birth. Like right. their baby is in this like terrifying place and, you know, they 
a lot of, you know, a lot of these families also have other kids at home and like, they and work and we can't be there 24 seven. So it's a very stressful, like anxiety invoking environment. So it is, it's, it can be difficult for us to like, remember that at times because we're so used to it. Um, Mm -hmm. so just like taking it, remember to take a step back and, um, just take, you know, think about their situation, each parent's unique situation and how we can help support them the best. And communication is pretty huge too. You know, like, I mean, people in your hallway probably could have gone in there and been like, Hey, like your nurse is in the other room. Like I see this, your kiddo's desatting, but like, she's fine. Right. Like, and we can see it like, obviously like if you need anything, let us know. Yeah. And in hindsight, I could have also, I should have said to the other nurses in the hallway very clearly, even though that they knew and could see, sometimes that isn't enough. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to be very clear. Like I'm admitting this baby. I'm in this room. I will not be able to attend to my other patients. Can you please keep an eye out for them? So then it's kind of like putting the responsibility somewhere else. Um, so like, you know, obviously I'm not perfect. Like there's things that I would, would do differently now. Um, I was a new nurse then. I mean, you, you live and you learn honestly. Um, but yeah. And, and, and to your point too, like, I think sometimes when we have like a 23 weeker that's crashing and is super sick in one room and then next door we have a 35 weeker who's like learning how to eat and is in our minds fine. Like to that parent, it, this could be the most traumatic and mm. horrific thing that's ever happened to them. So it's easy for us to compare because we've taken care of hundreds or thousands of babies, but like it's, it's important for us as the caregiver to keep that in mind. Like you're, that's not going to make anyone feel better. Like, Oh, don't worry. Your kid's not sick because the one next door is dying. Like, that's right. that's traumatic even hearing that, you know? So totally. I think it's right. like – Like think – they're thinking, oh, my God, that could happen to my kid. Because, again, they don't know the whole situation about what the kiddos – what's going on with the kiddo next door. Like they don't know that that is a 23-weeker or that that isn't another 35-weeker that's just really small and, like, suddenly right. super sick. You know, like they, they have no no context. So – yeah. yeah. Unless they're little, just a little peekers that like to peek in the other rooms, which happens quite oh, a yeah. bit. Especially if it's pods. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, they'll be like, oh. Oh, how's this kiddo doing? Like, Yeah. They'll be like, oh, yeah. Like, is that one a boy or a girl? Or how many weeks is that one? And, you know, it's like, oh. HIPAA, we're not allowed to tell you. Yeah. If you want to chat with those parents. You're welcome to, but we can't, yeah. we can't tell that you. information. <laughs> um, let's see. So some, some things that I've noticed while traveling are unit culture has a lot to do with how parents are treated. Like, I feel like where I started, I learned a certain way of how to involve parents. Like there's a certain norm, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and our norm is as long as the baby's stable, 
get the baby out. Or, but also at the same time, please come during care times and like lay that out for them. But there's other units that I've worked in where that's not communicated to the parents. So some I've worked places where they're the, they've been there for like three months and the parents have no idea that they're on an eight eleven two five schedule. Oh my god. Yeah. Um or like how to take a temperature. Like I was discharging in Harlem. I mean, this is also Harlem, but I was discharging. And I if I if the baby's going home that day, I want that parent to do everything and I want to watch because and not in a mean way. It's more just like, I need to make sure that you know what you're doing before I send you home with this premature child. So I'll be like, okay, mom, take the temperature. And then they'll like be like, how do you do it? And that is a huge red flag to me. Like, you should be getting the parents involved day one mm-hmm. with the baby's care. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's certain things that are inappropriate for par- for parents to be involved with. Um, and there's been a lot of situations that I've seen with parents overstepping their boundaries, like silencing like alarms, like um, IV pumps or monitors, um, suctioning. I've seen some, I mean, in certain situations, suctioning is appropriate and it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a taught task like in children's Mm -hmm. hospitals, but um, you know, in a lot of situations it's not appropriate. So, um, but there are certain things that parents can absolutely do, especially like with a nurse's like eyes and assistance. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important to like as as a nurse, if like remind the parents when the care times are and ask them what they're comfortable doing, what they have done before and what they haven't done before um, and just spend the time to teach them, mm-hmm. like teach them how to take their temperature, help them with the diaper change, educate why with preemies you're not lifting the hips above the head. Um I feel like those are like really important and seems obvious, but unfortunately it's not like across the board. Like I feel like it should be. Yeah. So, and if you're in a unit, like as a parent that, you know, those, the nurses aren't involving you in cares um, and you feel really disconnected, like advocate for yourself, you know, ask, Hey, can I change the diaper? Like, Hey, what can I do during this, these care times? Like I know, um, it can be really intimidating. Like I think parents usually like sometimes will just like sit back and like let the nurse do. And I get like, there's occasions obviously where you got to let the nurse do what they need to do. Um, but if it's like just a regular care time or even like if you're willing to stay around during an IV poke, like, I mean, it can be intimidating for the nurse um, to have to do that. But if you want to help comfort your kid or like, yeah. you know, there's things that you can do to like stay involved. I know it's probably really hard to watch your kiddo get poked though. Um, yeah. But. And if you know that it's your... best for your mental health, then by all means. <laughs> yeah. Step out. Like <laughs> I don't love being watched, but um, I, if they want to like, we, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Help me hold the pacifier. Help me yeah, swaddle, swaddle you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and like asking to hold, I will always offer, but mm-hmm. like I said, not all nurses will. So ask, ask, you know, if you don't know, ask, um, mm-hmm. advocate for yourselves as the parents, because 
a lot of nurses will, but yeah, I, I mean, some, so some nurses are new grads and they don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and some nurses are lazy. I mean, it's, and some are just like in a rush or not thinking of that. So, um, I don't know. I mean, every situation is different. So I think it's really important like to ask. And then if they say no, I mean, maybe clinically it, um, they aren't stable enough to hold. So ask why. And Mm -hmm. the reasons could be, oh, they have a UA line, like an umbilical arterial line, like, or even some, sometimes like a UV is still too much or any art line. Depends on the hospital. Yeah. Depends on the hospital. Yeah. So I don't want to say like, oh, I heard on this podcast and then you know, like I'm not, I'm just saying like to ask why, um, cause if there's a clinical reason or a policy in that unit, then that's a reason. But a lot of the times, yeah, you can hold your baby, but let's wait until their care time or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And I think just under, under, again, like understanding the why behind all of that, the why behind we want you, why we want you to wait until their care times, because the rest their rest, their sleep in between those cares is when they're like growing and healing and, you know, their brain is developing. So those, that sleep is so important and to like wake them up in the middle of that. Um, yes. Holding them is also beneficial, but it really is more important for them to sleep because Mm -hmm. if you think about it, they should still be in the womb. Like, you know, they wouldn't be being held right now. They would just be sleeping. Um, so, but once you do like, you know, you can hold them after their care time. And like, we ask also try to get you to hold them as long as you can. Yeah. Um, not it's ideal. just 15 minutes. Yeah. It's ideal when parents can, you know, hold for that, like next three hours, like that's always amazing. And then we get them up and you put them back to bed after that, after their next care time. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just being able to understand all of that. Like there's a lot that goes into it. And when a parent, when we say like, no, not right now, you have to wait. Like there's, there's reasons for that. Like, again, it's not, sometimes it is someone being lazy, but like, right. or, or it's because, you know, they are going to be so much more stable if we let them sleep. And yeah, I think like it, I've seen a lot of conflict too with some parents because of confusion, because of, well, this nurse said this, and now this nurse is doing this. So that can be hard. Um, And a lot of that can be due to change of status. Like, okay, well, yesterday your baby wasn't braiding, and today your Mm -hmm. baby has had five braidies. So it is going to be up to that individual nurse. Um, They, at the end of the day, are the caregiver for your baby and should be looking out for your baby's best interest um, and safety. And sometimes I've been in positions where baby appears to be stable. I start getting the baby ready to get out and it Brady's right in my arms. And I'm like, sorry, I changed my mind because he changed his mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that is hard. Um, you know, I've seen a, that a lot where parents get frustrated because they're like, I don't, they just don't understand. It's like, why, mm-hmm. how come this nurse, yesterday was letting me do this and you're not. Um, so yeah, I think for, for our nurses, like we need to, again, over communicate the whys. And as parents, I just encourage you to ask. Mm -hmm. 
Because like you said, there's just so much that goes into it. Oh, another thing too that I think would help you be more involved also um, and, you know, build a bond with your baby too is ask the nurses what the bath schedule is Um, because every hospital is different. Some places it's like certain days of the week. That's when they do baths or some places it's every three days or some places don't have a very concrete bath schedule. Um, But, you know, asking when that is and letting the nurses know that you want to be a part of those baths um, is is a really great way to like feel like a parent like getting to like give your kiddo a bath like I love teaching new parents how to bathe their little babies yeah. like I love it I think it's so sweet too. um like when then when you swaddle them at the end and like have them scrub their head like I just love it so much um and I think it's so, so cute. cute um so I think that that's a really really good way to to make to advocate for yourself and your involvement in your yeah. baby's care so true. Um, it makes me think of comments I've seen on like some of the reels that we've posted. Um, I remember one comment was like, my nurse or the nurse that was taking care of my baby bathed the, my baby without me and it was at like this many hours after birth and whatever. So again, like I did a poll recently, well, a few months ago on our story about um, – unit to unit, state to state, like what is your bathing policy? Um, And it's interesting. So like on the West Coast, it seems, and Portland especially was like the most crunchy. The Portland, they said on um, their postpartum unit, they don't even bathe the kids. They send them home unbathed. Um, And then other places, like most places I've worked is – 24 hours typically. Um, or if it's a micro preemie, like obviously you're not like going to submerge those kids in a tub. Like it's just different based on your gestation Mm -hmm. and your status. Even like if you're a cooling blanket kid, you're not going to pop that kid in the tub either. Um, but I guess this is for general, like newborns slash stable preemie, like stable, like older preemies. Um, but yeah. And then other places, like I think it was Florida or, and even in Harlem, they, they, bathed after like a few hours after being born, which is interesting. Um, So yeah, I I think it's interesting as a nurse and it's probably, it's good to know as a nurse and it's good to know as a parent as well, because yeah, it does vary. um, The policies do vary, but I think it's something to think about. Like if, if that's something that you want to share as a special moment between you and your baby, um, then you need to make all of your wishes known. Like, Mm -hmm. Like tell that and have them write it down. Like have them write it down on a post-it note and put it in the chart. Have them make sure they relay it to the other nurses. Like just really be clear about like, hey, can you make sure that the NICU nurse or the or whatever, like don't do the bath while I'm sleeping. Like I want to be there for it. Um or, or like I've come into a situation before where I so okay, my here's my perspective. So I started in Pittsburgh. Nobody I've ever met in Pittsburgh, wanted their umbilical stump, wanted their baby's umbilical cord. Then I started travel nursing on the West Coast, and I was in San Diego. It was my first assignment, and a baby's umbilical cord fell off, and their diaper, and their poopy diaper, and I was like, okay, great. Threw it away. 
And, that, and later the mom saw that it was gone and she was like, oh, did his cord fall off? And I was like, yeah, it did. And she started crying. She was like, where is it? And I was like, I threw it away. Oh, no. And she started crying. Oh. I felt so bad. But to me, I was like, that's a scab. That's gross. No one would want that. But that I realized like, you know, it's different. Now I'm like, well, maybe I would. I don't know. I'm not sure what I would do with that. Maybe keep it in a scrapbook or something. Like, you know, I understand. Like, but – I don't know. You can't assume for other people, right? Mm-hmm. So but that's also like I wish that I had known that beforehand because then, of course, I would have saved it for a – put it in a plastic bag. I'll write in a Sharpie. Ian's umbilical stump, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's tough. And, you know, I felt horrible. I was like, okay, that was never my intention to upset anybody at all. Right. You're like, there was poop on it. Like <laughs> – Yeah, like – it was – it's gross. But, yeah, so that's just another thing. It's like just um, be – like talk – think about it and talk about it beforehand and then think about what your wishes are. So like with the baths and with those kinds of things and just make your wishes known. And, yeah, like like you said too, like finding out the schedule and, yeah, be, mm-hmm. like making it clear. Like I'm going to be here on Tuesday night for bath night, so like please wait for me or whatever. And it's as easy as that. And like, that's something like, usually like if there's a whiteboard or something in the room or like in the bay, whatever for the baby, like we'll usually write it on there. Like parents like to do baths. Like you write like little notes to each other. Um, and yeah, you just like relay that in, in your, um, report and that's that. Yeah. I've just thought like that too. I just had a thought come to my mind too yeah. that it's not related to baths at all, but I think a lot of parents, um, it sometimes gets missed to explain the monitor to parents. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's really important. Like if you're a new nurse to the NICU, um, new grad, whatever, um, that's huge because they're looking at that screen and like, sure, we can look at that and be like, oh yeah, it's fine. Or like if they're if they breathe sixty two and it starts to ding, like they're fine. But they don't. Parents don't even know what that number is at all. And so, like, just making sure that you explain all the things that are in there, what the alarms are, like the severity of them as well, Mm -hmm. like the yellow ones versus the red. And like, if I'm not running in here at a yellow, like know that I can see them. But like, I'll I'll get there soon. But they're they're okay, you know, like. Just making sure that you over communicate because they're gonna like look at that and be absolutely panicked. That's such a great point. Yeah. And they don't know the difference between an IV pump alarm, the feeding pump alarm, the monitor mm-hmm. alarm. There's so many beeps and we our ears quickly as nurses attune like we get used to it because we have to respond to those alarms. That's literally part of our job. But yeah, to them it's 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 very scary. And mm-hmm. what is that? And um, the IV. I and, feel like yeah, all of those. Yeah, like they, yeah. they freak out. And like, and again, like it's like any like the first time you hear that like red high alert alarm on that monitor, it's got to be so traumatizing. Um, and to then so any beep after that, you're just so worried for your kid. Like yeah, yeah, just to. And like you can't also assume that a parent knows what a Brady is 
or that they've experienced it before. Because sure, like you may know from report, this kid Brady's every day, but a parent may be experiencing it with you for the first time. So by the way, for the, if there are parents listening, a Brady, it's short for like bradycardia. So that is slow heart rate. So mm-hmm. baby's heart rates are usually like, I don't know, like 110 to 170s or so, like, or sometimes higher, sometimes lower. It depends on their size and age and stuff. But um, if their heart rate goes below, also hospital to hospital, sometimes it's 90, sometimes it's 80. Um, but if it goes below a certain amount, then we call that a Brady. Um, and, you know, there's different severities of Brady's. Like if they go to 80 and then they come right back up, that's a self-stim, mild, not really big deal didn't have to do anything. They're fine. Mm-hmm. But other times it goes 80 and it goes 60. Then their saturations are going down. Then, you know, it could be like a code situation. So there's just, it, there's a lot of different like severities of that. But anyway, I I, th- I guess just like you can't assume that they know mm-hmm. what that is. So like if, if mom or dad is holding baby and the baby Brady's, and even if it's a little one, I always try to like go over to the parent and I say like, do you know what that was? Like, has someone explained to you what what that what a Brady is before? And I tell them about it. And like, I you know, I always tell them too. Like, preemies do this. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's part of the course, and it's something that they'll outgrow most likely. Again, dependent dependent based on mm-hmm. <laughs> you know individual situations. But I guess for the average preemie in the NICU, it's usually something that they outgrow. But yeah, just, yeah, again, over-communicating with the parents. And um, and if you're the parent asking, what was that alarm? Like, can you explain this to me? Yeah. Yep, 100%. And that's a good, it's a good point to say, like, don't assume that they know because know anything also you know like I like to go and and be like hey have you done this before have you done this before like I don't want to just be like oh go do this or like just you know I don't know just communicate with them and kind of see where their level is of comfortability is at in the room and with maybe and everything um because sometimes like they're not able to be there super often and they don't have a lot of experience with with the cares and everything and sometimes it's like that cultural, um, a cultural thing where they, they let the doctors and the nurses do everything and they are as involved, but then over time they, you know, warm up to it or start to be feel more comfortable, but just don't assume. I think that's a great, great point. Exactly. And like with the monitor and explaining those numbers and everything, I find a lot of parents get very overwhelmed with the wires, quote unquote, oh the God, wires. Yeah. So they don't know what's atta- what tubes and wires are attached and how. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that a lead is a sticker and a pull socks is a sticker, but they don't know if that's, oh, am I pulling on a tube that's going to come out of him? If the kid ha- is intubated, has an NG tube, like maybe they got a billy mask on, they got photo, they got leads, they probably have an IV, they might have like umbilical artery, li- like they might have lines, mm-hmm. um, and they got the pulse ox. It, so to a parent who doesn't know what this stuff is, they're covered in wires and tubes and it's totally. scary. So I always – ask to has someone explained what everything is 
So, and I, yeah, I explain like what the endotube does and, or like if they're on nasal CPAP or like BiPAP or whatever it is, like this is how it works. Like, and you can do it in like more simple terms, but I think it's so important to like empower the parents to have, like they need to have that information and they might hear it from a doctor, but there's so much information. It's so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So like, even if a doctor comes up and explains something to a parent, sometimes I can just see the blank look on their face and they're like, what? So I'll be like, does that all make sense to you? And then I'll like maybe go over it again in yeah. like a little bit of easier terms too. Um, it's, God, it sucks. It's so hard yeah. to be a parent. Thank you. I feel for you guys. Oh my gosh. We went through extensive training to learn all of this. So like sometimes we forget that, you know, like it took us a while to learn all of this and master all of it. So and we're from a medical background. So for someone that is absolutely not, and they come into this environment and they're like having all these terms thrown at them while they're under extreme stress of just have like having given birth to a child. It might've been a traumatic birth. They're like still on meds or like they're so sleep deprived and like all of it, like they are going to be like, what? Like have no idea what's going on at all. Yeah world is flipped absolutely upside down. Like, like whether it's your first baby, most people don't even know regular baby basics, let alone anything about a preemie and about a NICU's day. Um, and sometimes people, it'll be like their third baby, but this is still your first preemie. Like it's mm-hmm. really different and yeah, it's not ideal. It's where no one wants to be. One other thing I was going to mention too, like that I thought of for parents to make sure that they ask about is like um, uh, breast milk and things like that. Like that is one of the most important things that you can provide to your baby. Um, So, you know, asking for lactation support, ask the nurse sometimes like if, if I don't think to ask. So if you need help, like just say, can you um, get lactation for me today? Like, I'm having trouble or whatever. So make the, you know, those wishes clear as well. But even if your baby's not eating, like we can still do oral swabs with your mm-hmm. colostrum or breast milk in the baby's mouth, even if they're intubated too. So um, there's like, there's things that we can do there with that. That's so healthy for the baby totally. um, and for the baby's gut and everything. Um, so yeah, just, just ask and. And to follow that up though too, I want to say like, if you, aren't going to breastfeed your baby for any reason like you have everyone is um, entitled to their own choice that's okay too like 100% 100% don't feel like you um have to like you're that you're going to be looked down upon like that is your body your choice like whatever you know there's a yeah. whole multitude of reasons why parents don't so and well yes yeah. like the colostrum is great for them um for the babies, but they're still getting a ton of nutrition through their veins, like what we're giving them. So it's okay. I mean, if you don't, I mean, if you don't want to breastfeed at all, but maybe just like pump the first couple of days to get that colostrum, that's also an option as well. Cause it is like, we call it liquid gold just cause it has so many antibodies. Um, 
and it helps build their immune system and it's, it's just really good for them. But, um, it's also okay if they don't get it. It is okay. And oh my God, we've seen so many parents out there who want to breastfeed and then the NICU and everything going on there, it's so stressful that Mm -hmm. their production stops. Um, and it ends up being even more stressful because they feel guilty about not being able to produce the milk. And the whole thing is just, it's terrible. Like, like, of course it is, if that's what you want to do, it's like, great. It's important. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. But at the same time, like, don't beat yourself up about it. And no one should pressure you to do something if it's not right for you. Um, so Mm -hmm. yeah, I think we both agree that yeah, fed is best. And, um, yeah. That There's a lot of other resources too. There's also donor milk out there too. Um, yeah. At a lot of hospitals, they offer donor milk and um, prolacta, which is amazing. Um, so, yeah. But that's our tidbit. That's our little tidbit on, uh, yeah. you know, for maybe nursing uh, NICU new grads or, I mean, anybody in the NICU, just reminders and parents to just kind of empower you guys to take mm-hmm. control of your baby's care and um, be an advocate for them and just try to take some power back because it is it does feel like a really powerless time. It's hard. Absolutely. I'm like, know that we love you and support you and we love your babies and want the best for them. And like, we're all in a, a team in this um, really stressful time for you. And yeah, we just want to be there to support you as best as we can. Agreed. Um, and if you guys have any questions that we didn't go over, please shoot them our way and we'll do another episode on this. Mm-hmm. Um, just let us know. Yeah. All right, guys. All right. See you guys. Bye. Bye. I feel like we got some good stuff in there. Maybe. This podcast is produced by Emily Richardson and Hannah Quirk. The intro music is by Dan Lemire. Please help us out and rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Instagram at drunkordelirious or send us an email at drunkordelirious at gmail.com.